is I did promise a couple weeks ago I would give some pointers on how to pump up your prayer life. And uh, I'm going to give them fast and furious here this morning because I also am tasked with the exciting task of beginning our Advent season or our time of anticipating uh, Christmas and, uh, and, and all that. So I'll, I'll jump into that part f- second. But first, I'm gonna, I want to talk about prayer life. I, I talked a few weeks ago. Every, you'll know every time we have a prayer summit, and we do tonight at 6 o'clock from 6 to 7.30, it's a time of guided experiential prayer where uh, you don't have to know how to pray to participate. Come, and you'll learn as you go. People who are experienced in prayer, people who are beginners in prayer, they can learn together. And I really enjoy leading it. I really enjoy leading it. And uh, once a month, we, we try to do that. And it's actually seven Sundays throughout the year where we actually have a prayer summit. But whenever we do a prayer summit, I think it's great just to teach on prayer in the morning because I know if you're like me, you probably have fought and struggled and been frustrated at some point in your life or many points in your life over your prayer life. It probably if there's one question that probably makes us feel a little bit exposed is when someone says, hey, how is your prayer life? How's your uh, communion with God, your, your uh, communication with God and your relating to him? And, uh, and often we struggle. And I think it's, there's lots of reasons why. I won't get into it long. But, but I want to try to give you some real practical tips that I think will help uh, to, uh, us to win in this area of life that we, we often are struggling in. Okay? So I just wrote pump up. We want to pump up the prayer life of pressured people. And if you fit that description, you're a pressured person because of your schedule, because of all the things that are going on in your life, then hopefully something in here will be a nugget of help for you so you can actually see advancement in this area of your life. Okay? So that's my hope for you. You'll take away at least one thing that will help you to uh, see advancement. My first pointer or helpful hint for pumping up your prayer life is find a chair. Find a chair. Find a chair. Find, I think the problem, we often think, hey, I can pray anywhere. But the reality is when we think we can pray anywhere, which is true, we also uh, pray nowhere. You know? It's like, I can pray anywhere. So I don't need to actually have a set spot or time that I'm going to pray because I'll just fit it in, right? I'll just fit it in. It's sort of like your budget. Oh, I'll, I'll have money for that at the end of the month. Well, you don't get there, do you? Right? You don't get there. It's the same with this, this area. Oh, I'll, I'll find some time at the end of the day. Or I'll find some time, uh, you know, when I'm not busy. But have you noticed your life? Mine never gets there. It never gets to that point where I'm like, oh, right, that wonderful time I was going to, you know, that was just going to magically appear for me for prayer. It, it just doesn't appear. So find a chair. And by that, I mean pick a time and pick a place. A chair is helpful because it means you stopped being busy and you sat on it. And this helps us to begin to address the problem of no prayer in our lives. So if that's where you're at, you say, man, it's almost virtually no prayer in my life. Even though I love God, I want to serve him, I want to interact with him, I'm just, my life is pressured and I'm having a hard time. Uh, The book of Daniel tells a story about how Daniel's habit was to three times a day he would open the windows and pray in the direction of Jerusalem. It was so consistent in his life that even his enemies knew he did it. Everybody knew. I'm not telling you to pray so people will know. In fact, Jesus had some cautions against that. But uh, wouldn't it be awesome if you had something so, uh, so entrenched in your life, a habit so entrenched in your life, that even if you were threatened on pain of death, 
to stop it, which, David was, which Daniel was, that you would still do it. That you'd still do it. So, after I talked on prayer last time, I had a single mom come up, not a single mom, sorry, a young mom, she wasn't a single mom, she was a young mom, came up to me and said, it's really hard to do what we're talking about. You know, I described my Sabbath, remember, I talked about solitude and, and simplicity and, and going for long walks and walk them out, stuff like that. And she's like, seriously? <laughs> Which is good. I love that kind of feedback. It's a good challenge. Let me tell you that prayer and picking a time and place should be scalable for all life situations. If you're retired, four hours, go ahead, pray. <laughs> and tell us about it so we're encouraged about what it'll be like to retire. But we are not there yet. We're not there yet. If you're an empty nester, okay, you don't have quite as much uh, time because you're still working, you're not retired, but you still have more time than the person who has teenagers in their home and the person who has teenagers in the home, they have more time than the person who has elementary kids who can't, you know, feed and clothe themselves, unless your teenagers are like that too. <laughs> and if you have elementary kids in the home, then you probably have more time than the one who has a toddler and a newborn. Toddler and newborn? Just imagine their crosshairs right on your life. <laughs> it's the target zone. I want to tell you, you can survive that. You can survive anything. Okay. If you, say, if you say, my marriage is hard in that stage, guess what? Uh, freedom comes by increments, right? It's coming, right? You say, this is a very hard stage for me. It is a very hard stage. Nobody would ever deny that. I pray for that stage more than any other stage in life because I know it's hard, and I know lots of couples and, 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 and single parents, they really struggle when they're at that stage. So you're there. It's scalable. Listen, does God expect you to go on big Sabbath walks and walk a mile like Pastor Steve and just have all this time to yourself? Well, not that I have that all the time. It's, you've got to find a, a time and a place, but here's, here's, you've got to be more creative, right? You've got to be more creative uh, with how you do that. So, so, so it might just mean that you, that you, you find a location, and that location, if you're, uh, if you're in that very most difficult place, it might not even be a sitting location. It might be the fact that you threw your Bible on top of the microwave and you left it open. That might all be that it is, right? And the time and place for you might not be as regular as for other people. But you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can. I'm going to have a location. I, at least I know where it is. At least while I'm holding a, a bottle and I'm, and I'm trying to solve a dispute and I'm trying to do all those things, I know I can peer over in a moment and, and see Scripture and, and begin to talk to God and stuff like that. So God knows your situation. He's gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. It's not that we come to prayer to go, oh, God, I've really failed you because I haven't been praying. We come to prayer and God welcomes us. God welcomes us into that time. He fathers us. He parents us. He loves us in those times. So, so try something. Open a Bible on a countertop or on top of the microwave or, or in the bathroom. Try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. Uh, but pick a time, pick a place, and it begins. And, and you might have to do this several times. You might have to keep trying, but I encourage you to keep trying. Uh, if Dr. Seuss was trying to sum this up, I think he'd say it like this. No prayer? Decide where. Find your chair. Meet him there. All right, that's the first point. <laughs> Number two. Number two. So we have the problem of no prayer. Well, if you can get a time and place of any sort, of any size, 
According to the season of your life, you've got a beginning. Here's the second thing. Uh, bring your Bible. And, and it's, it's, it's really this principle of speaking second that we're going to talk about. Speak second. So some people just come into prayer and they just say, okay, God, this is exactly where my mind is at. This is where my thoughts are at. You know what I find when I'm just coming in and it's my mind and my thoughts? Is that my mind and my thoughts and thinking about where I'm at does not lead to great faith. It doesn't lead to power in prayer. In fact, there probably are things I just won't ask for in those times because my faith is small. Or there might be things that are small and I won't even ask for because I think God doesn't care. All sorts of thoughts, negative thoughts, will flood in when I speak first. But when I speak second, it changes. And what do I mean by speaking second? I mean, begin with the Bible. Begin with the Bible. Let God speak first. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God is what Scripture teaches us. So you want your faith to grow. You want your prayers to be more powerful. You want to, ask, you want to be able to have the confidence to ask God for more. Begin by listening to him. So let God speak first through his word. If I come to pray and all I have is who I am and what my thoughts are, I'm discouraged. But once I read God's thoughts and see who he is, watch out. Faith begins to rise. Right? That, the Bible is amazing. Even if you read a few verses, I encourage you to read more. Read, if you've got more time, read great, big, long sections. But I, even if you read a few verses, it's amazing. All that stuff is breathed by, into by God. It's breathed into by God. It's, it's powerful stuff. So, so speak second, or actually speak third. First, read the scripture. Second, ask God, what do you want to say to me today through my, the time I've taken to read the scripture? What do you want to say to me through the scripture? That could be the second voice, the written word, the listening prayer to ask the Lord to speak to you, and then begin to speak back, and you'll notice that there'll be more power in your prayer, there'll be more confidence, there'll be more faith. Uh, some, some of you, you, you just, uh, again, you put the Bible in the microwave or wherever you put it, in the bathroom, wherever you put the Bible. Uh, some of you say, well, it's just easier to do it on my phone. I found my phone is so distracting, I couldn't use it very well to read the Bible because I would get on to other things. I had to prune what was on my phone. I had to prune my apps. I had to get rid of my Facebook app. Actually, that's been quite freeing, although I haven't seen a lot of my friends on Facebook for a long time. But it's quite freeing once I did that. And I had to get rid of my sports uh, app, the one that told me the scores of games and the, the recaps of games and watch the highlight videos. I had to get rid of that one. That one was killing me. And there were several others that I had to get rid of. I got no games on my phone. But now I'm suddenly finding that version app on my Bible is quite helpful because it's got a whole bunch of reading plans you can use and it makes it simple. Again, when your life is pressured, you want to make it automatic. You want to make it simple for your life. So I found that was good. Uh, I still like reading out of a Bible made of paper uh, to read, to flip the pages. I still enjoy that as well. But uh, find your chair, bring your Bible. Here's the third one. I can just call this cracks, not because we're cracked, but because that's what all the, we have sometimes in our pressured lives. Let's say, you've, let's say you're, you're fighting hard to find your chair, to find that time and place. You, you've set your Bible out in that, time, that space, and, and you're going you're gonna to let God speak first. But what about the rest of the day? 
This is the problem of presence. Do we have the presence of God? Like, is it just that God is in a compartment of this time and place? What about the rest of the day? I think there are cracks within our schedules where we can press prayer into. I don't know what they are for you. Driving, waiting at the doctor's office. Do you know what's coming soon to Saskatchewan? Praying while you wait for Uber to pick you up. Coming soon. Coming soon. Isn't that exciting? Are you excited for the boost to your prayer life? <laughs> I don't know how much Uber will get done in Musha. I'm sure lots of it will. But those cracks, those moments where you just pray now. How much ramp up do you need for prayer? If it's too much, you're doing too little. You're experiencing it too little. So I was, uh, I was picking up my kids from school, and I got talking to a guy who actually was doing manual labor in the school. He was working there. And uh, so I was chatting with him, and he was a Christian. I knew him from before, and he knows I'm a Christian. And uh, he was telling me about his uh, plantar fasciitis or whatever, his foot, and how much it hurt in the mornings. And I felt this nudge. You should pray for him. So let me tell you, this can happen one way. Yes. When I get into my alone time, I will take some time and pray for him. Except for I've experienced how pressured my brain really is. And I know that that rarely ever leads to praying for him. I know that that's the truth. So the other option is I could pray for him now. And I really felt like, oh, yeah, I should ask him if I could pray for him now. And I didn't really want to. Let's be honest. I just didn't want to. I felt a little awkward. But I felt like, you know, there's something about obeying God when you don't want to that leads to great results. So I said, okay, can I, would it be okay if I prayed for you for that right now? And he was sort of slightly hesitant, but not totally uh, opposed. And he said, oh, okay. So we stopped and we prayed. And I thought, I don't know if this is for him or for me. Does God want to encourage my faith or his? Does God want to heal him or just does he want me to be obedient? But I don't know what the whole equation is. I just know that God blesses when we pray now. When we pray now. He does. You know, my mom, she prays now like nobody else prays now. She doesn't even introduce praying now. And maybe you get to do this as you're older, though I do remember her doing this when she was younger, too, is you'll be saying, yeah, Mom, I'm sort of going through this thing, and I'm trying to figure out, and she say, Lord Jesus, we just pray for Stephen right now. <laughs> she usually has done her prayer before I catch on. She's praying. I'm like, what, what, oh, wait, 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 uh, uh, I, oh, Thanks. Ambulance goes by. Woo, woo. Lord Jesus, we just pray for those people just right now. And just would you be with them right now? Thought comes into her mind. Lord Jesus, we just pray for what's happening here and there. And so she is pressing prayer into the cracks of her day like nobody's business. And as a result, she's in this constant communication with God. Just keep coming back to him. Keep coming back and practicing the presence of God in her life and pressing prayer into the cracks of her day because if all you got let's say you're still fighting you're trying to get that time and place that's regular but if the rest of your life is just cracks if you're really run off your feet uh you got to use those moments you got to use those moments last one is circles circles okay find your chair bring your bible press prayer into the cracks but circles this is the problem of who to pray for 
often we come to pray and we have no plan. And we hear about people who have long prayer lists. And if you do, if you have a long prayer list, these are people I pray for every day, every day, every day. Awesome. That's great. I'm going to give a helpful hint that's for us beginners. Okay? So for those of you who are doing much more than this, praise God, just keep doing it. We need you to keep praying. But for, for those of you who are saying, I come to pray and I'm, I'm like distracted. I don't know. Should I pray for that stranger I just met? Or should I be praying for my aunt whose toe is hurt? Or should I be praying for like Mongolia? Like what should I be praying for? How do we do that? Let me give you a hint. I think you should pray out. If you're just, if you're just getting started and you want to have some wins, pray out in concentric circle, circles. So start with at the, begin, at the middle of the circle is me and my own soul. So pray for yourself. Pray for your soul. Pray for your spiritual life. Pray for, pray for um, that you would you'd fall in love with Jesus more and more. That, you, that whatever is holding you back, whatever things are in your mind or in your thoughts that stop you from really following him and enjoying him and loving him forever, pray for your soul first. Then move out a little bit. So for me, to move out a little bit is to pray for my wife because She's the next closest in my, in my life. So I pray for my wife. Lord, would you bless her? Would you encourage her? Would you, would you help her? Lord, would you grow her spiritually? Would, would she know that she's your daughter, that no, nothing, the enemy wouldn't mess with that, but that would be solid in her life? Whatever prayers fits with praying for your spouse or the one who's closest to your life. And then, and then I move out. I've got my kids. And then I move out, and I've got uh, my life group. And I move out, and I've got my coworkers. And I move out, and I've got um, my city and I move out, and I've got my nation, and I move out, and I've got the nations of the world. Do you cover all those in prayers? No, no, you often don't. You often don't. But, if you, but often we come to prayer, we have no plan. Just begin with your own soul, and then pray for the next one closest to you. Maybe you only get that far. But sometimes we just get so addled. Am I doing this right? It seems, so, it seems like there's a million needs in the world. I don't know how to pray. Just begin here. See how far you can get out. Is that simple? I hope that simplifies you for it. I am like a basket case mentally in a lot of different ways. So sometimes when, hey man, <laughs> is that you too or is that just me? Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, it's true, so I won't worry about it. Um, and some of you guys might admit you are too, right? You say, what seems to work for other people doesn't seem to work for me. And so sometimes I just have to say, Lord, give me something that will work for me. If I hear about someone who has an incredible prayer life and it seems so easy and they just fell into it naturally and they just did this and they're telling me to just do that, and I, I might feel frustrated. Like that young mom came up to me that day as I was saying, oh, just do this, this, and this. And she said, uh, it's not working. So ask the Lord. Say, God, you know my situation you know me inside and out. You know my brain. You know my distractedness. You know my inability to concentrate. You know my schedule. You know my pressures. You know what my kids are like. And you are gracious and compassionate about all those things. You're not harsh with me. You're slow to anger. In fact, you're slower to anger than anyone else I know who's ever been angry. And you're rich in love. And because you know all that and you have so much grace for me in this area, I don't have to just be under this uh, weight of guilt in my life in this area. Instead, I, you're actually just saying, come. Come, be with me. Spend time with me. Let me father you. Let me parent you. Let me 
lead you, guide you, love you. Ask me for the things that you want. Ask me for the things that you need. Ask me to touch your soul. Ask me to enrich your life with this relationship you were always meant to have. I am willing to give. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Let's pray. First sermon's done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone who the enemy has mucked about in this area of their lives. They've brought guilt and shame. And Lord, I know I felt that in my own life, and I don't want uh, to live my life as a prisoner of shame. When you made it clear, you came to free us from it. So, Lord, we want what you have, not what, uh, what gets twisted in the mix. So, Lord, you call each one of us to come to you. And somehow the enemy wants to make that like a chore or an obligation or uh, another area where we're not measuring up. I don't know. You know the mental games that go on in my head, and you know the mental games that go on in every head in this room. So, Lord, you have a plan to bring mercy and grace and tenderness <laughs> into the lives of every um, person who's sort of beguiled in this area and saying, oh, it's not an area of life. It's been an area of struggle. And, Lord, I pray you'd bring your peace and you just work in each heart. Strengthen us in prayer, Lord, through your way. Lead us in prayer, Lord. Help us grow in this area. We just want to have that relationship with you. And when the disciples went and said, Jesus, teach us to pray because clearly you have this relationship with the Father that would be amazing to have. We want that too. So teach us to pray in your name. Amen. 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 Okay, so we're going to change gears here. Okay, chair, bring your Bible. <laughs> Press prayer into the cracks and pray in concentric circles. Okay, hopefully that will help. One of those things will help you. Just take at least one away. We're going we're gonna to change gears, and I've got two readers who are going to come and help me this morning, Diego Mota and... Ella Ashby are going to come, and uh, they're going to um, do our Advent reading for today. So I'm really excited uh, for their their reading. Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. Even the light of one candle can reveal our faces as we stand near the candle. As we light the candle, we begin our journey to Christmas, a day of joy and celebration. The first candle on the Advent wreath is called the Prophecy Candle. It opens a period that anticipates Christmas and remembers those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child.
A reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 to 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. I will, uh, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord, the Lord, our righteous Savior. <laughs> a reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. One, One candle burning bright, chasing away the darkness from light. One candle glowing light, the blessing of God giving you sight. All right. Well, it's just like a real Christmas program. There's always a moment in the Christmas program where something goes a little differently. Hey, that's great. Um, I've noticed lately whenever we light candles in the church that um, kids aren't playing with fire as much as they used to. I grew up in a small town where we, we burnt our garbage. Anyone grow up in that? Yeah, okay, you burnt your garbage. So, I mean, like, I'm very experienced as an arson. Um, <laughs> I don't have much else on my resume, but I got that. Anyhow, I'm, it's delightful to see that. It's very good. Advent is preparation for Christmas season now, but it's according to the Christian calendar not according to what we think is the Christmas season. Like Christmas season in Canada, we have to think, well, Black Friday comes, and that's when the Christmas season begins. But it's, the Christmas season, according to the Christian calendars, really begins December 24th, and it runs to what we call Epiphany, which is January the 6th. I, now, this may sound really strange, like I've been talking a totally different language, and you say, I grew up in the church, how come we're talking about this? How many of you grew up where you celebrated Advent, Lent, and you know, and Epiphany is not a strange word to you. How many? That's okay. Okay, so it's a, it's a small group in the room, um, but it's 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 preparing our hearts for that season of Christmas again. Not the shopping season, but the actual, uh, you know, what we'd often like the twelve days of Christmas. Really, supposed to start around then, you know, December twenty fourth, and and going to January sixth. So. That's, that's sort of the preparation time that, that happens. And it's like Lent, okay? So Lent, that's another sort of, that's preparation for Easter. Easter. It's a time where sometimes people decide to fast, uh, whether they fast food or they fast other things. Um, it's, in fact, 
uh, our prayer pastor, Laura Blackman, told me today, if you start fasting today, I don't know why she was telling me this. Maybe she thought I should. Uh, if you start fasting today for the next 30 days, you will, will end your fast right in the new year. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like if I started today, you know, I get to January 1st and, and I could eat again. No, <laughs> but it'd be the end of the fast. So it's, an, it's about anticipating the coming of Christ in two ways. Past tense, it's about looking back to Christ coming as a baby. Future tense, it's about anticipating Christ's second coming. And both those things are involved in the season of Advent. Probably the song that I always think about when I think about Advent is, can you guess? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Yes, that's the one. O come, O come, Emmanuel. So it just sounds Jewish, doesn't it? Right? And ransom captive Israel. You want to sing it with me? That mourns in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appears Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What did Israel expect? What did they expect? Like we, re- we heard these great prophecies this morning uh, read by, by Ella and by Diego, right? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. What, what, what would the fulfillment of that promise be? In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, again, future focused, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. This righteous branch will be called, what's the name? The Lord, our righteous Savior. And then Isaiah, his prophecy For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene. It's so descriptive. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, if you were the average Jewish person at that time, what would be your expectation? Well, I think people, because they had been conquered by the Roman Empire, in the season of its fulfillment, they, they probably expected deliverance from the Roman rule. I think maybe also with that would come a restoration of national greatness. This talk about David's throne, well, when David was on the throne, it was pretty great. When his son Solomon was on the throne, it, at the, in, the, in the early stages, it was even greater. So they're probably looking back and going, wow, what an incredible promise. But then there's 400 years go by since the last of the prophets has spoken they call it the 400 silent years. And who's still hanging on to that promise? Who's still hanging on to that thing that was said way back when? 
that now it's just words on the page. There aren't even any prophets around anymore who come and, and tell us about what God has in store for Israel. When you look at what Israel expected from the prophecies, I think you could say that they were maybe caught off guard by the way that God fulfilled them. In fact, that's the title of our series this next four weeks, Caught Off Guard. The ones anticipating the answer, the end, the fulfillment of the prophecy were shocked by the way that it came. Have you ever opened a Christmas present and you just were like, I did not expect that. I totally did not expect that. In a good way, right? Not like you had high hopes and it was really disappointing because that's not, you could be caught off guard by that, but, you know, that's not delightful. But to, to actually open a present, you go, whoa, I didn't expect that level of thoughtfulness. I didn't expect that level of personalization. I didn't expect that, that, that anyone knew I needed this. I didn't expect the extravagance of the gift. I didn't expect how quirky and wonderful this is. Whatever it is, you're caught off guard. You go, whoa, this gift is different than what I thought I'd be opening. The Israelites were caught off guard. In the end, when they experienced the full measure of it, when uh, people began to follow Jesus and live for Jesus and, and experience all that God had planned, God's plan was way better than what they had anticipated. It was way better than overthrowing the Roman uh, uh, Empire. God wasn't just fulfilling a promise to the Israelite nation, but through Jesus, he was fulfilling a promise and providing a way to reconcile all the people of the world to God. They only expected maybe a man would come, but they got a God-man, the divine Son of God come in flesh. According to the world's perspective, Israel had no reason to hope because they were a conquered people, and yet God had fulfilled his promise to them in a way that they wouldn't feel, that they would understand that God conquers in different ways. I want to tell you a story. Many of you know this story, but I think it's a great time to tell this story again. Um, for, I think it was 17 or 19 years, I, I don't have my timeline quite right, but we had a really awesome man of character as our senior pastor, Alan Buchanan. And, uh, yeah, incredible man, incredible man. He, he from the from sort of the early 90s and, 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 uh, and taking us into, you know, even just recent years, he was our senior pastor. And uh, he was out at Kettleson Gospel Camp in the summer. And he was going, he tried boating with a few people out there. I know he went out with Bardo Jima and a few others. And they got on these little one-sailed, uh, boats, little tiny things, and he got out on the, on the water, and he actually found it quite exhilarating to let this, the wind fill the sails and just take off. It's amazing how you can really cut across the water on those boats once the, once the wind is up, and uh, he thought it was quite cool, so he read a few books about uh, the basics of sailing, and he was so fascinated with it, he found it very exhilarating, and, and um, then his life changed fairly radically. He was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, there was a, a season, about a year, where he had to step away from his role in leading the church. And, uh, and he was at home and, and doing chemotherapy and, and, uh, and all of that. 
um, his son has said during that time, and I, I do remember this being true, he spent way too much time on eBay. <laughs> and the, he would go down into the basement where his office was in the house, and Darlene would be upstairs, and he'd be on eBay. And, and the one day he came up and announced that he bought something on eBay. And, well, what did you buy? Well, Alan had bought a 25-foot cabin cruiser sailboat <laughs> that was located in the Atlantic Ocean. So, how, Alan, are you going to get a boat from the eastern seaboard of the United States to Last Mountain Lake to Kettleston Camp? Well, that's easily solved. Go back into the basement and go back on eBay. And sure enough, sooner, sooner than later, he had bought himself a truck that was also located on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Then he got on a plane with his beloved wife, Darlene, and they flew on an incredible vacation. They landed, got their truck, went all around, saw covered bridges and all the cool things you can see in that part of the States, and then eventually hooked up the boat and drove it back to Saskatchewan. Just like you're probably going to do this Christmas for your shopping. <laughs> well, now Alan had a new thing to do. He had to plan a party. He called all his family and said, hey, I, I want you to book this time off in the summer because we're going to go sailing on the lake. We're going to have a, what he called a celebration. And we're going to all come together and we're going you know, to have a great time together and it's just going to be a, a really awesome time and, and come sailing with me on my boat. And, uh, and so all sorts of family came. And through the process of getting closer and closer to the summer and figuring out and planning for this great big family get together, Alan finally came upon the name that he would give his boat. The name that he chose for his boat, some of you know the answer, was Hope. Let's see if I can do this with one hand. <laughs> I hear that. Someone just said, I believe in you. Such an encouraging church. Even when you're doing something that anybody could do, they still. <laughs> Thank you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> All right. So Alan called his boat. And that boat has been on the waters of Kettleston, or Last Mountain Lake, for more than a decade now. And it's been a symbol, an icon for many campers as they look out and see hope. Because a lot of us know the story, and we knew the man. And we knew that how he lived with hope. We knew it wasn't just an aspiration. We knew that it was a reality, right? We, we, we were side by side with him as we saw him worship. In the, in the, in the times where he couldn't, his voice would come and go. Sometimes he wouldn't be able to worship with his voice, so all he would do, could do is raise his hands. He, then when his voice would come back, he'd tell us how satisfying it was to still be able to raise your hands to worship God. He had hope. You know, sometimes, you know, you hear the story about the eBay and the truck and the, and the, the boat. Sometimes it seems that people have hope in spite of their circumstances that they seem a little crazy. 
But it's that hope that causes us to embrace our lives and really, really live. The prophetic words of deliverance for Israel must have seemed a little crazy to most people, especially because they were a conquered people. They were subjugated. There was a circumstance that dictated their every day. But there's a difference between being conquered on the outside and being conquered on the inside. And that difference is hope. As long as you have hope, you cannot be conquered on the inside. But to experience the full benefit of hope in your life, you should put your hope in something that cannot be easily taken from you. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, it's not just hope that matters. It's having hope in the right thing that matters. It's having hope in the right place. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. See, Alan didn't just have an anchor for his boat. He had an anchor for his soul, and that was his relationship with God. Knowing that he, uh, knowing the character of God, knowing who God was and being able to trust Every day of this series, every week of this series, we're going we're gonna to pull out a new present. We're going to open a new present. Isn't that fun? Open a new present. So hope is our theme, and now I get to open the present. Do you know what it is? I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, here we go. Hey. Merry Christmas to me. All right. When I was a boy, my grandpa would tell the story. He had it printed on a little pamphlet, but he'd also tell the story about a boy. And the story went like this. There was a boy who liked to put models together, little model, uh, you know, cars and airplanes. But his biggest and best project that he ever made was a boat. And he worked long and hard to take the pieces and glue them together and get them all just right. He worked hard making extra little special parts that didn't come with the kit because he wanted it to be extra special. And he worked hard to make sure that it would float because he didn't just want a boat for a mantelpiece or to sit on his dresser drawers. He wanted a boat that would go in the creek. And so he built his boat took him hours and hours and hours. Every day after school, he'd rush to his room, he'd get out his little modeling glue, and he'd build the boat. And eventually it was done. His boat was complete. So he took it down to the creek. And there he had lots and lots of fun with his boat. He'd, he'd, he'd put a big string on it, and he would sort of trawl it up and down the creek. And, and sure enough, it floated. It floated wonderfully. It looked great in the water. He imagined that boat being full of sailors or pirates and, and, and sailing the seas and, and going through the rough waters. And, and boy, that boat was sturdy. It, would, it, would just, it was amazing. It would float. Wow, that's an illustration killer. <laughs> I 
Maybe more modeling glue next time. <laughs> I said the kid was good at building boats. I didn't say I was. Anyhow, when he was out in the creek playing with his boat, he thought, I wonder how far out into the water could go. So he would angle it into the current and let it catch the current, and it would go out farther and farther. Then he'd pull it back with a string, and it'd go out farther. But one time, he let it go out, and it caught the middle current, not the, 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 the shallow, weak currents at the side, but it caught the middle current of the river. And when he went to pull it back with a string, suddenly there was a resistance on the end, and the string slipped through his fingers, and his boat floated away. Well, he ran along the side, the side of the river as fast as he could go because he thought, I've got to get my boat. And he ran and ran and ran, but he couldn't keep up. The current was faster than he was, and soon his boat was out of sight. Well, he went home totally dejected. He was sad for days. His mom tried to console him, but nothing worked. All he could think about was how he made this boat, and now he had lost it. All the design, everything he'd put into it, how much he loved his boat. And then the day came where he was walking down the street downtown, past a pawn shop, and there in the window of the pawn shop was his boat. Well, he ran inside and he said to the man in the pawn shop, well, that's my boat. I made it. You can see all the details. I can describe how it's put together. That's my boat. Can I have my boat? The man said, well... It might have been your boat, but a man found this boat, and he turned it into me, and I paid a good amount of money for it. And if you want it back, you're going to have to pay for it. So the boy went home and asked his mom, Mom, is there any jobs I can do? And he did jobs around the house, and he filled in for another boy who had a paper route, and he, he did all the work he could possibly do, and he finally had collected all his change together, had enough money, and he went and he bought the boat. Then when he came home, he hugged the boat. He was so happy. He said, you know what? You're twice mine. I made you, and then I bought you back again. And when my grandpa told me that story, he was trying to communicate to us how God has two claims on our lives. That not only did all the intricacies of how we're put together, did he design that, but that when he saw that we had gotten lost, that sin had separated us from God, that he went all out to buy us back again, to bring us back into relationship with him. And this is the hope that we're talking about. This was Alan's hope. It's the hope of having eternal relationship with God. Let me read just a few verses about that. It says, let us hold Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Our hope, and you know, you, maybe you caught on, in the story, we're the boat, and the boy who is so diligent to get the boat back is God. We are called to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Our hope is based on one who keeps his promises, on one who is faithful, on one who moved heaven and earth.
to bring us into relationship with him. Titus 3 says it very well, 3 to 7. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. See, God moved heaven and earth. God do what, did what we could not do for ourselves so that we could have this hope of eternal life. And the end of it all is that God invites us into this relationship. It's like he's, he's done all this to prepare it. And yet, there's a response that needs to come from us. It's like if someone told you that they had prepared something incredible for you. It's all wrapped. Come on over and open this present, this one-of-a-kind amazing present. Come on over and receive it. You'd say, wow, that's awesome. I have this incredible gift. But you never go over. You never open it up. Well, God has prepared for us the gift of relationship and eternal life. Eternal life means being with God, being in relationship with the one who loves us the most forever. And what's required in our response is to say, not only do I receive that gift, not only do I receive that gift, but I receive everything else that comes along with it. See, God wants to forgive us. In, in Titus, it talks about all the different conditions that humans get themselves in. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malice, envy, hatred. No matter what sin is in our life, God will forgive us that sin if we come to him, if we uh, respond to him. And then the, the other part is that he'll lead us. He'll lead us. He'll make us his very own, his sons and daughters. He'll make us a part of his family. And he'll give us the gift of salvation, saving us from our sin and giving us the hope of eternal life. Would you stand with me today? I know you've had two invitations today. Chris Trinity did an excellent invitation after communion. I invite you again. God said he will make his appeal through us. He'll make his appeal through us. So God wants to draw you to himself. And he makes his appeal through other human beings, like myself, like Chris Trinan, like other ones in your life. And so I want to I invite you this morning, if you've never, if you don't know that hope, if you don't have that anchor for your soul, if you don't have that confidence that allows you to really live, even, even when 
externally, like Pastor Allen, who was experiencing cancer, diminishing his physical body. Inside, he was being renewed day by day. If you, you say, the circumstances of my life, they seem insurmountable, unchangeable. They seem like the kind of things that would lead a person to despair. That's not what God's got planned for you. He's got hope for you. He wants you to experience his hope, but it's through relationship with him. He wants to be, make you unconquerable on the inside, no matter what comes on the outside. And he does it by giving you himself. He does it by sending Jesus as a baby. He does it by that baby growing up a sinless life and dying on the cross for our sins. He gives us himself so we have a hope that can never be taken away. Not a hope that's uncertain, but one that's guaranteed. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, for each one who's in this room, you've got us at, you know us, you know the, all the different uh, places we're at, seasons we're at in our lives. I would ask for those that are, haven't, haven't uh, when, when I talk about this hope, they say, that's not a reality in my life. I don't have that hope, but I, I do want to experience what God has for me in that area. I do want to open the gift that Jesus made possible by his death on the cross. And I do want to receive, uh, not, not only just to be uh, saved from the penalty of my sin, but to experience the joy and peace and love and hope that God has planned for me in this lifetime as well. So for those who are there, Lord, I pray that you would uh, reassure them the one who promises that all these things is faithful, that they can trust you, that going forward, they can put their lives in your hands and you will lead them better than they've led themselves. I know that that's true for me and I, I thank you for that. So if, if that's you this morning, you say, I want to just make that, I want to open the present, I want to I receive the hope of Christ in my life. Let me just lead you. Lord Jesus, let's all say it together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope you promise. It's an eternal hope, not just for now. And it's so certain because it's from you. I want that certainty in my life of eternal relationship with you. I want to be able to depend on something that can't be taken away. Thank you for what you did for me on the cross, Jesus. Thank you that that makes it possible for me to have relationship with God. And I receive the gift that God offers. I receive the gift of his forgiveness for my sin. I receive the gift of leadership for my life. Thank you, Jesus.